Uh, the reading is going to be taken from Luke chapter 2 and is verses 21 to 40. So it's Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that would be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Amen. Well, what happens when Christmas is over, when the lights are turned off, tinsel is put away, and the tree is thrown out, ready to be, to be burnt. And they do burn well, don't they? What happens when you go back to work or when you go back to school? The new term starts. Do you just go back to where you were before Christmas started? Maybe a little bit better off because you've got that um, Xbox you were craving after. Or that life-size garden gnome with a solar lantern which you always wanted. Or is Christmas something more meaningful than all that? Because the things that are most worth waiting for are those that will have a lasting impact on us. Not just for a few days, a few weeks, as the novelty of those pet Zuzu hamsters wears off, but for the rest of eternity. 
And the passage we're looking at this morning, which describes the events after the birth of Jesus Christ, is about waiting for promises to be revealed to people who had waited and longed for something all their lives. And finally, it was revealed to them. But it wasn't just revealed to them. It was revealed to all people. And it wasn't a thing that was revealed to them. It was a person. And as he was revealed, he in turn revealed the true person inside us. Because our response to Jesus reveals our inner thoughts and desires. It reveals whether Christmas is just a chance to exchange presents, eat a lot, and watch the Doctor Who special. Or whether it's something that gives our life meaning. We'll come on to what that response reveals about us in a minute, but let's first look at how the birth of Jesus revealed the fulfilment of many promises that were made by God. And the first of those is the fulfilment of the law. It's interesting here in this passage, you've got it open with you on page 1028. It starts with um, how Mary and Joseph kept the requirements of the law of Moses, the law of the Lord. It says he was circumcised on the eighth day, but then there are three separate ceremonies they follow in order to keep with Old Testament law. There's the purification of a woman 40 days after the birth of a child. There's a presentation of the firstborn to God. And there's a dedication of the firstborn into the Lord's service. And it's easy to skip over these first few verses because you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus has fulfilled the law, that we're no longer subject to these requirements of the law. But it also says that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law which may mean there are some important principles that these laws teach us about the character of God, about our relationship with him. And what I do think they teach us here is the importance of preparing our hearts, our minds and our bodies before we come to the Lord in worship, which means confessing our sins. It means coming with the right attitude of reverence and humility, ready to listen to God speak to us. We come with minds full of clutter, we won't be able to honour God with our worship. These laws also teach us about the importance of presenting our children to God. You know, last week, as I mentioned earlier on, Timothy Wallace was presented to God and um, his parents, Ian and Ruth, promised to bring him up in God's ways, praying that in time he would use the gifts that God has given him in his service. And we may have made the same promises here with our own children. Of course, those promises are promises we need to continue to keep praying about for their spiritual health throughout their lives, not just when they, they make that profession of faith, when they finally make it. That's not the end. We continue to pray for them. But in what way is Jesus fulfilling the law? Because Jesus, later on in his ministry, he said this. He said, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. That's John the Baptist. Since that time... The good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. He's saying up until John the Baptist's coming, the last of the prophets, God's word and rule had been proclaimed through the law and the prophets. But now, with the arrival of Jesus, we are able to meet God in a new and better way. The people of God in the Old Testament era were waiting for the promised kingdom to come. And now Jesus the King has arrived. The kingdom that was promised is here. It's ready for people to become a part of that kingdom. 
And those of us here who have committed our lives to Jesus are a part of that kingdom. But let's take a moment to look at two of these people here who were chosen to receive the new king. First, there is Simeon. And here, in verse 25, he is described as righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then, later on, there was the prophetess, Anna, verse 36, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Both faithful servants of God who kept the requirements of the law as best they could throughout their lives. Is it significant that they were both old in years? Well, it probably is because just as they were about to pass away, so was the previous era of the law and the prophets. And this wasn't something they were sad about. They weren't harking back to the old days. They'd been waiting all their lives for this to happen. They were witnessing the start of a new era, the fulfilment of the law through the arrival of the new king. And before I go on, if you find this concept of kingdom throughout the whole Bible quite complicated to grasp, can I just recommend this book here by Vaughan Roberts? I've mentioned it before. It's called God's Big Picture. And what it does, it takes you through the whole Bible and and explains the Bible line, the storyline. It describes it in terms of kingdom. So the different headings that um, he uses are the pattern of the kingdom, going back to Genesis, the perished kingdom, the fall, the promised kingdom, the partial kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, the prophesied kingdom, the present kingdom, the proclaimed kingdom, and the perfected kingdom when Christ will come again. the fulfilment of the law. The second promise that was fulfilled there was that Jesus was the promised king. He was the the Messiah. And if you flick over the page to um, chapter 4, you will see that um, when Jesus started his ministry, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from Isaiah, a a passage that pointed to the coming Messiah. It's there in verse um, 17, 18 of uh, chapter 4. And when he gets up, the first things he says in verse 21, are today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah that Isaiah prophesied all those years ago is now here. That is a pretty bold claim to make, isn't it? But going back to our our story we're looking at this morning, on this day when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the temple, Simeon and Anna knew that already this was the promised Messiah. Simeon, it says, had been promised by the the Holy Spirit, who is the source of all revelation. He's the one who who opens blind eyes. He enables people to see the truth. The Holy Spirit had promised him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And on this day, that promise will be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit ensures that this is the case by, by prompting him to go into the temple courts at the right time. And when Simeon took the child in his arms, the Holy Spirit must have made it clear to him that this was the Christ he'd been waiting for all his life. He took him in his arms and he praised God. He said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. 
the Holy Spirit was very much at work in this episode. He was ensuring everything would happen as it had been prophesied. Just as he ensured that Anna, in verse 38, there came up to them, it says, at that very moment. Now, we haven't got time this morning to consider all the different ways in which the Holy Spirit works and prompts us today, but his most important role is to enable us to see the truth and to turn to Christ in the first place. He's also the one who reassures us of our faith if we're struggling, when we feel that God is far from us, when we wonder maybe when, if we are really truly saved. It says in 1 John, and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. The Holy Spirit confirmed his promise to Simeon. And in so doing, he showed to Israel that the promise that had been made to them were coming true. And this promise that, that Simeon was waiting for, it says in verse 25, is that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean, the consolation of Israel? Well, have a look back, if you would, to um, Isaiah chapter 40. You'll find that on page 723 of the Church Bibles, Isaiah chapter 40. I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Comfort or console, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is going on here? The people of Israel were called to be God's holy people. They were meant to reflect his character as they obeyed the law. But of course they failed. So how could they avoid the judgment that was awaiting them? The answer is that Israel's sin, as it says in that passage, needed to be paid for. When that happened, Israel would be able to find the comfort and consolation that she needed. And with the arrival of the Messiah, the consolation of Israel was about to happen. Jesus would be the one who would pay the price of the sin of Israel and of our sin. And so we will only know God's love, God's consolation when we are first conscious of our own sickness, of our sin, when we acknowledge that sin, that that guilt, that guilt of rebelling against God. As Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you're looking for consolation for your guilt, your shame, your doubt, your failure, your fear of death maybe, and come to the Lord and ask for his consolation, for his forgiveness, and he will all too willingly give that to you. Consolation is one aspect of Jesus' work. What Anna was looking forward to, it says, was slightly different. In verse 38 it says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of of Jerusalem. If you haven't heard this word before, it means to buy back. It's often used in the case of slaves in that time having to be bought back, their freedom being bought. So whilst consolation conveys the, the idea of spiritual healing, restoration from past mistakes and pain, redemption is a freedom from the powers that would have a hold on us, would drag us back, away from our new king, back to our old master. 
our former way of life. And both of these words are aspects of what it means to be saved. And when Simeon picks up the baby, he doesn't say, Ah, oh, isn't he cute? We might have done, but he doesn't say that here. He says something actually much more profound. He says, verse 30 there, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And this little baby, he has seen God's salvation, their rescue from the penalty of sin, their forgiveness, their rescue from the power of sin. And it's not just for Israel, it's here for all people. Ever since God's first promise to Abraham, the people of Israel were chosen to be the ones through whom God's salvation would reach to all nations. And Isaiah, let me read again from Isaiah, he emphasised that when he said this, he said, God says, it is too small a thing for you, Israel, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The fact that through Jesus, Israel will perform her ministry to the world means that Jesus is glory to Israel. All eyes will be drawn to Israel through what her Messiah achieves for the whole world. And the promises of God come through the promised one of Israel. And since then, the gospel has spread throughout the world and it's the goal of the Wycliffe Bible translators that by 2025, translation work will have begun in every language that needs it. The gospel is spreading throughout the world. We are blessed in this country, aren't we, that um, the gospel has been preached for hundreds of years. It's still preached up and down the country today. But the trouble is that not everybody welcomes good news. It provokes different reactions. And so we come on to the second main point, that the birth of Jesus reveals the desires of our hearts. You may wonder why of all God's people he should choose Simeon and Anna to to be the first to see Jesus. What is it that marks them out, apart from them being old and um, they're sort of bringing in of the new era era and saying goodbye to the old? Is it not a, a yearning, a longing to see the Messiah? Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel his whole life. Anna, it says here, never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. When is it that we, that we are called to fast and pray? Isn't it when we, we long for something so desperately that our physical hunger of going without food reflects our spiritual hunger? That's something that we are so desperate for. Anna had a hunger for the Lord's coming. And that was more important to her than anything else in her life. She was a young widow and yet she chose not to remarry. She put aside her physical and emotional needs and devoted the rest of her life to to serving and praying for the arrival of the Messiah. And before Anna and Simeon both died, God gave them a glimpse of what they both longed to see so much. But as I say, not everybody welcomed the arrival of Jesus. Simeon says to Mary... In this passage, it says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many, many in Israel 
and to be a sign that we've spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There would be those who would speak against Jesus, who would not accept that he was the Messiah. Why? Well, because he would reveal their pride, their hypocrisy. He would challenge their authority. And they would respond by trying to get rid of him. The sword that would pierce Mary's soul would be the pain of seeing her innocent son rejected, unjustly treated and killed on a cross. The way people would respond to Jesus would reveal their reaction to God. You can't reject Jesus and claim to be a friend of God. Because Jesus said he was God. What is being revealed in Jesus is whether a person has a heart humble enough to trust in him alone for their salvation or whether a person is proud and must be brought low. The kingdom of Jesus is here. You can be a part of it. I wonder whether God is preparing you to be a part of it. God prepared Simeon to receive Christ by giving him a desire to wait for the consolation of Israel. He prepared Anna to receive Christ by making her look forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Nothing else brought them satisfaction. And if you find it difficult to, to find satisfaction in what the world has to offer, maybe that is God preparing you to find consolation and redemption. The question is, do you want God to prepare your heart to receive him? Or are you happy with what you've already set your heart on? What about for those of us who have already received him? What is it that keeps us going? Because, you know, we shouldn't pretend that the Christian life is going to be easy for Christians. As Jesus said, he says then, later on actually, he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. As Christians, we will experience from time to time hostility, ridicule, prejudice. Then there may be times of doubt when, you know, Christian service is hard work. Times of tragedy when you question where is God in all this? What is it that made Anna worship night and day, fasting and praying? What is it that kept her and Simeon going when they were past their best, probably you know, mentally and physically. It was a passionate desire to see the fulfilment of a promise that a new king and a new saviour would come. They wouldn't be diverted from that task until they had finished the one that Jesus had given them. And that was to fast and to pray for the coming Messiah. In human terms, there was nothing particularly impressive about their ministry. You know, You'd invited Anna to speak at a conference and you were to introduce her. You know, what would you say? You know, it's my great pleasure to introduce Anna, who none of you all know, who's not written any books or planted any churches or done any speaking. But she's dedicated her life to worship, fasting and prayer. We know the rest of the story after, you know, Jesus um, would grow up after Simeon and Anna would die, we know that Jesus would perform some incredible miracles. He would heal the sick, he would 
bring back the dead to life. He would calm storms. He would teach with amazing authority. We know that he would die, that he would rise from death, that he would ascend to heaven where he reigns now. We know that he would send his Holy Spirit to be with us. And we know that he would make another promise as well. Because before he did leave, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He also promised that we will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. If we know what he did the first time on earth, if we know how he made it possible for us to be forgiven, then how much more should we believe the promise that he will come again? And how much more glorious will that second coming be than the humble circumstances of the first? How much do we long for that day? How much do we want to see Christ's kingdom here on earth? How often do we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Whatever else Simeon had done in his life paled into insignificance against the delight of seeing Jesus and knowing his salvation. If we long for Jesus to come again, then are we ready for it? Because longing for something goes hand in hand with being ready for it, doesn't it? You can't long for Christmas to come and not be ready for it. If, you, if you're not ready for it, you won't long for it to come. If you haven't done all your shopping, if you hadn't got all your food in, risen all those cards, wrapped all those presents, then you wouldn't have wanted Christmas to come, would you? You wouldn't have been ready for it. It would have caught you out. You would have wanted more time. If you're a student and you're longing for that day when you finish your exams, if you haven't done your revision, then you're not going to long for that day, are you? Praying for Jesus to come again is to make sure that we are also spiritually ready for him. And that doesn't mean that we'll ever get to a, a point of maturity that we can say, well, now I've made it. Now, I can, now he can come. It means living our lives with the constant desire to see the world as it should be and as it will be under the reign of Jesus Christ. It's wanting people to come under that reign so that they may experience his blessings for themselves. It's to continually pray for a world in darkness, for people whose eternal destiny we care about. It means never wanting to stop serving Jesus, whatever age we may be. I think Simeon and Anna are a great encouragement to anybody here who may be feeling, well, I'm not really much used to the church anymore. You know, my body's given up. I used to do a lot in the church when I, uh, when I still could. If that's you, have you ever thought that actually some of your most productive years in spiritual service could actually be ahead of you? Even though some of your most productive years in human terms are behind you. It's never too late to serve God. Are you going to allow God to use the wisdom, the maturity, the experience that you've gained over the years? Are you going to be a prayer warrior? We all have an excellent chance at the beginning of 2010 in the day of prayer to come to God as a church 
to pray that his will would be done through us as we look to the year ahead. That through our example as individuals, as a church, we can make a difference. We can give people a glimpse of Christ's kingdom. A kingdom that we long for. A kingdom that we want to be ready for.